Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this podcast, getting your insurance cover right for your business and training the next generation of management. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with CompUB. Building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompUB.com. First up on this week's podcast, I want to talk about the changing nature of the world of work. And and this has been a slow-burning thing over the course of the last few years, probably changed a lot by the economic crash and how we all view work. And it, it's one of the things that is being examined by my next guests who are from the Irish Management Institute, the IMI, uh, which of course is now part of University College Cork. And uh, with me now, Judy Ryan, who's the Head of Custom Solutions and Client Development at IMI and Professor Anthony MacDonald of UCC. You're both very welcome to Red Business. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. Julie, I'll begin with you. The IMI uh, was Dublin-based solely, but now, of course, like all good things, you've been taken over by Cork. So tell us a little (laughs) bit about that. We're still (laughs) Dublin-based and we have a base here in Cork. So we've been around since 1952, so we're actually 65 years old. Uh, And our purpose is to really improve the practice of management, management and leadership. Uh, Some years back, uh, we merged uh, with Cork uh, and indeed have been working very, very closely uh, with them um, to really develop the leadership uh, capacity and capability throughout Ireland uh, and particularly in the Dublin and Munster regions. Uh, One of the things that you're doing, which is quite exciting, is you're taking over a new facility in Cork uh, in the city centre, which was the old, it's the old TTSB building. That's right, Nevsky. Yeah, so what are you doing on site there? Well, UCC are actually renovating that uh, and it is a very exciting project for us. Uh, So we, uh, Anthony, I suppose you want to touch on what we're doing there? Yeah, so I guess it's it's on track. The construction, the boardings are up um, and essentially that's going to become the Centre for Executive Education of of UCC, which obviously IMI will be, uh, I suppose, the main main operation and tenant there. So again, it is Mm -hmm. back to that point of trying to um, ensure that there is a custom-built... premises for um, offering executive education type um, courses. The the location that's very interesting because that's where all the growth is going to be over the next couple of years. As as the Docklands expands and is, if everything comes to pass, we're going to have a little mini version of the IFSC, but a Cork one down there. And, and you'll be feeding students, funneling th- them through that uh, Parnell Place facility to jobs, hopefully down the Keys. Yeah, in part, I think, you know, and again, I suppose that's only one of the exciting developments of the of the business school in UC because there is essentially a, a plan for a, a new business school on top of that um, premises in, in Laps Key. And that's currently um, ongoing in terms of looking at feasibility of that. So I think there is big plans for, um, I suppose, the business school, which will and the AMI to, to really play a, a more significant and substantial role in the development of Cork as a mm. as a leading um, place and location for particularly foreign direct investment, I guess. Julie, the, the idea of Irish management, a, a lot of people would have said up until relatively recently, it was almost a contradiction in terms that, you know, we, we always just borrowed the best bits of other people's management plans and adopted them as our own. But we've seen a lot of emerging Irish companies, a lot of emerging Irish success stories, the, the likes of Ryanair, uh, you know, others, Voxpro here in Cork, emerging companies that were no longer relying on outside investment, that were doing it on our own. H- has there been a kind of a, I, I call it a maturity, but a coming of age 
of all the people who've come through your organisation and others that were, you know, were, were better managers than we were? Well, look, Ireland has got a superb reputation for building leaders and good managers. We actually, and research points to this, that we are particularly good at managing ambiguity, managing in the grey. We do that particularly well. Having and created the ambiguity probably <laughs> in the first place, but yes. Absolutely. And I suppose um, when you look at some of the uh, foreign direct uh, investor companies, they'll make the point that um, the Irish-based uh, managers are very good at securing uh, projects and uh, you know whether that is uh, R&D facilities here in Ireland. Um, they're particularly good at that. We... Well, we we send a lot of them abroad. That was my point. And then they'd come back. Yes. But yeah. now they're they're staying. They are staying. And that boomerang, boomerang effect works extremely well. So you're sending off your talent. Uh, it's developing. It's it's learning um, as, and broadening its own perspective. It's bringing it back in. And that is really, really fostering the growth here in Ireland and as an engine for growth. Also, I would say for indigenous, for scaling companies, we are strong at scaling. We sometimes sell our companies off a little bit too quickly. But that ability to scale and scale quickly comes from a really strong entrepreneurial mindset and a real people-focused mindset mm. in leaders. And that entrepreneurial mindset is one we've talked about before, Anthony, particularly in UCC. Uh, I've made the point that when I went to college all of 20 years ago, the purpose of the education was to educate you and then off you go. Now, if they can and they see merit, they'll keep you to, to incubate your company while still within the confines of the university. And that's become a very successful model. Absolutely, you know, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of focus on entrepreneurship as a as a broad topic area right across the the different universities um, or the university in terms of the colleges. Um, so you know, and I, I think this is the really interesting piece. Of this is that we're seeing greater focus on trying to bring people from different backgrounds together. So people from the sciences, from medicine, from the business school, actually placing them into mm. um, this environment of learning um, with ultimately trying to incubate future companies. One of the things that you, you're good at talking about is, is the nature of managing staff and throughput. There is a phrase, and I hate it, I absolutely despise the phrase talent management. Guys, in, in the industry, we're in the Red FM studios right now, if you talk about talent, it's the fellas doing this job behind this microphone or the Neil Prendival's, oh, he loves being called talent, does Neil Prendival. But it doesn't necessarily translate as that anymore because talent management means looking after the people who are capable of doing the job. And there's almost an, an inherent respect that they're good at what they do that mightn't have been there before. Is that fair enough? Yeah, like uh, as somebody that researches in the area, I, I I would agree the concern on the terminology actually because I think it's it's a very loaded term, um, by because again the by the natural it's full of notion idea fact. exactly, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and that's part of the challenge I think in terms of where this lack of clarity sometimes of what do you mean by talent because mm-hmm. the the opposite of being viewed as talent is not talent and that again the culture and language around what that word means I think is really important in terms of each organisational context so you know I think the clarity around what is meant by it um, is that about an exclusive approach where pe- those people are viewed as these real high potentials and you give them greater investment that, that is that is a very workable scenario and, and I think it makes a lot of sense but equally it's how you deal with those that aren't part of that um, that pool is what is ultimately going to be very important as well There's a huge generational shift that you know, a lot of people my age would have decided they were going to get a job. And if they changed job two or three times in that lifetime, that's probably two or three times more than their parents would have. Whereas now you could have somebody at the age of 27 who's had three jobs who might have another seven or eight jobs before they retire. And that is not without its risk, but 
is that empowering or is that challenging? I think it's both. Um, I think, um, and you know, the danger again we talk about generations at times is that it, that that it, that that sort of you know movement is a generational issue, and it's the individuals have no commitment. But some of that, of course, could potentially be turned around to well, the lack of investment and potential opportunities for um, this generation as well. So I think you know people are absolutely looking for this purpose. Um, in work, they're looking for the greater package, and I think there is a greater confidence and willingness to potentially move if that isn't um, part of what they are mm. seeing that is, that is coming across. And in that context, when you're in a role and you're seeing as the talent, be it a, a tech firm or be it uh, some other type of industry where there is fluidity, i.e., you can you can pack up your stall and go somewhere else. Does that work to the credit of the so-called talent that they know? well, if you don't use me properly or don't treat me right, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I think there is an element to that because, I think, you know, we saw during the, the financial crash, you saw, you know, unemployment oh, people rising. Hung, people yeah. hunkered down. Exactly. And you, and also, but, but I always say in terms of, you know, a crisis, ultimately high potential people, good quality people know their worth and they're not necessarily going to, to wait around. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, of, a lot of the best quality people know that there are opportunities out there. Um, so I think it is back to, again, organizations needing to look at how are they going to retain them. You know, a lot of our models um, are based on, I suppose, traditional manufacturing models from, you know, many decades ago. And I think there is an, mm-hmm. an evolution of both edu- from educational, from confidence perspectives, what people want. And I think sometimes I think we're not necessarily organizations perhaps are a bit slower at changing. Uh, Julie, you are getting in your throughput now at the IMI probably the generation that has been the most derided out of recent years, the ones who uh, would they've all, it was said about them that they had everything, they were lazy they were never going to amount to anything uh, what are you finding when, when they're actually hitting the world of management now as opposed to what the expectations of them were when they were in college? Yeah, you know there is not a huge amount of evidence out there to say that there's much difference between generations. The reality is you know, we still attract uh, and good people do attract good people. That's that's the reality. Um, as Anthony pointed to, purpose led that perception of what I'm about and what a job means to me and how I can almost influence my own career pathway is really, really important. The single reasons why people leave companies is really got to do with what they perceive to be the quality of their work, the work design, how purpose-led it is and the the importance they place on their manager, their manager as their mentor. If that's not there, mm. they just leave. And look, we've all dealt with good managers and bad managers throughout our career. The good ones stand out, the bad ones tend to be forgotten about. Is that something that can be learned or is that instinct? It's something that absolutely can be learned. I mean, some people choose not to learn it. Uh, sometimes you have to unlearn behaviours. Um, and as a manager, you really need to listen. Mm. Listen, listen hard to but, what But some organisations think it's OK that to keep shouting at you until you get it right. Others encourage you. And, and there's mixed success. I mean, some styles are just different. Yeah, I mean, there's some sectors and it's it, it maybe are moving at a slower pace than others. But the reality is they're, they're not hanging on to their talent unless they listen uh, to what it is that um, people want I'm conscious of using the word talent, avoid that. (laughs) (laughs) What people want, because at the end of the day, it's a flow. You attract it, you recruit it, you onboard it, you Mm. develop it, you retain it and you help it succeed. The gig economy, Anthony, uh, it's a dirty word, um, but this generation that's coming through now seems to be okay with it, that they can live with it. Is is that a good thing? Because that would tend to play to employers' advantage because they get to avoid all of the pleasantries that most employees would have enjoyed today. 
Yeah, like, I think it's interesting where you described it as, as a dirty word because I guess it's, it's almost it's, as it's, dirty as talent. <laughs> Not quite, but there. But, but I think the, there is the two um, spheres in it. There is, there is the, the people that believe that this is um, a great opportunity to have full control over your work and non-work life by deciding when and when when and when you do not work um there is then the opposite side where it's viewed as a you know a, a transaction a move to a further move to transactional um employment project based um and a removal of you know terms and conditions of employment um so i think there is, i think we have to be damn careful of um taking either side too strongly because i think it does suit some people i think certainly there is certainly concerns around um you know, how some of these, um, how are we going to manage some of these um, types of issues? So again, you know, the lack of consideration of pensions, benefits, how are they actually going to materialise? There's a public policy, I think, to mention that hasn't really been... Well, it'll be about 50 years before lot. we notice the consequence of, of an action now, arguably. Well, I, I think so, yeah. And again, it's back to, I think it's, 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 it's an area that we don't know that much about yet in terms of like, do people that consciously, are people consciously looking to engage in the gig economy or is it essentially they have no other choice. I think there is evidence suggesting that there is a lot of it about no other choice than to engage in it. I also think that I wonder does the emergence of it because it there is it, it straddles multiple spheres from the real high quality, high end sphere of, of work um, mm. and job roles to those that are at the at the real lower end. Um I wonder does some is some of its rise to do with, you know, the failure of organizations to actually yeah. look at how they design work. And look at the lack of flexible working, which I think ultimately hasn't probably worked very well. And actually, it's really interesting um, because research is showing now that by 2020 in the US, 40% of organisations are going to have, um, you know, transient short term working. That has a that puts a whole different um, focus on how to manage Mm. human capital. Very few good examples have come from the United States in relation to employment terms and conditions are otherwise. So not a great one to follow, but I'm sure that uh, the next generation come out of the IMI will have a great handle on it. Uh, Julie Ryan, uh, Head of Custom Solutions and Client Development at the IMI and Professor Anthony MacDonald of University College Cork. Thank you for joining us on Red Business. Thank you. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com. Insurance is a thorny issue for business, indeed for anybody, as we try and get the best policy out there which is becoming more and more challenging, I think we'll all agree. Well, my next guest has set it as his mission to get the best value in the market. Theo Hoare uh, from Apex Insurance. How are you? Uh, very well, Jonathan. Thank you. Insurance is, as I said, a, a dirty topic at the moment. Uh, do you find more and more of your customers frustrated by the process, Theo? Um, I think so. Um, there are ongoing issues in the market. There are a myriad of uh, offerings uh, both directly from uh, insurance companies and through various intermediaries such as insurance brokers. Um, I guess our primary uh, uh, business is business insurance um, and our job is to ensure that our customers have the correct and optimum level of cover at the best price available in the market. And we also provide full support in the event of a claim, um, which is where the policy uh, really comes into play and shows its value and we, we support our, our, our customers from start to finish through that process. And the, the challenge with insurance, though, Theo, is that the price has gone up and up and up and up. And it's been very hard for people to keep on top of it because it seems to those looking in that the policies are changing or the rules are changing. And we don't know what used to be a simple conversation has now become a lot more complicated. 
That's true to an extent, Jonathan. Um, the market, particularly over the last two to three years, we've seen increases of anywhere between 50 to 100% with, with motor insurance, uh, uh, commercial motor in particular. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a function really of, of premiums following claims, you know, and, and, and claims and the legal costs associated with, with, with claims and accidents are driving uh, premiums upwards. No, we, we have uh, come to a stage uh, since the start of this year, we have seen premiums level off. In fact, reductions in premiums with more competition in the market. Because that, that's what really was annoying people, that they could have gone through a decade or two without making a claim, yet their insurance still rose. So are they going to hopefully see those premiums come back down, not to where they were, but at least a little bit? Absolutely. We, we've already seen it. We, we, we have seen uh, reductions. There's, there's more competition coming into the market. And this is what happens. Insurance companies start to make profits again. Uh, the business is competitive. You have more entrants and, and, and the prices uh, start to drop. So people and businesses will see that uh, flowing through uh, you know, this year certainly and, and, and hopefully will um, level out. A, a lot of insurance companies wanted the business direct. They, they cut out the broker in recent years. Is there a bit of a resurgence in the broker as that honest individual who will find that best price for you? I mean, they always did it for the brokers that I dealt with, but mm. they were targeted by direct marketing as in a way they hadn't been before. Absolutely. I mean, the, the broker has a very important role in, in bringing that value to a customer. We know the market. We know the various companies in the market and, and how they operate. And we work directly for the, for the customer. Um, so, you know, our job is to get the, the, the best solution that, that, that is out there. The other big area that is emerging is something called cyber liability. Now, explain to us what cyber liability is. Sure. Uh, sounds scary, but it, it's actually uh, covering uh, uh, loss of data, effectively, and information. And, and all of us, nearly every business now holds data uh, to some extent, and we're reliant on, on IT systems. So this is, this is an emerging area um, where we've seen, um, you know, quite common occurrences over the past couple of years, WannaCry, the NHS. All and, hacking, and, hacking All stuff. hacking, effectively, you know, from uh, malicious attacks from outside, ransomware, where people's systems are effectively closed down, uh, or, you know, a price is put on that to, to access your data again, you know. So these are, these are all uh, real exposures, Um you also have GDPR. You know, everybody's heard of this uh, 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 in, in recent times. And, you know, that's going to be have a huge impact on, on, on the exposure in this area for data protection. So what um, can you insure against in that circumstance? Because you are, in many ways, GDPR aside, if you're the victim of a hacking attack, you're a victim of crime. So can you insure against that? You can, yes, absolutely. Um, it's it, 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 you know it, it's a criminal act from outside, um, and therefore um, there is an insurance solution for that. Interestingly enough, the the, the take up is quite low on this at the moment, but I think that's going to increase. I mean, if you look at the US, you'd probably have something like a seventy percent take up uh, with businesses for the for this protection. But um, I think with GDPR and and you know with with attacks happening regularly, I think this is going to become more of a common feature. But what it will cover is it, it, you know it'll cover the direct costs of dealing with a situation where if you have to bring in uh, an IT forensics person or uh, a legal person or, you know, you might have, like the biggest problem is reputational damage. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's been recorded up to 70% of SMEs have been hit at some level 
uh, with, with, with a cyber event in, in, in the past 12 months. And in a lot of cases, um, we won't hear about this because it's not exactly, mm. exactly good press uh, in terms of reputation. Well, we know what happened with a couple of big firms like Uber and indeed Facebook when things went wrong. They didn't necessarily shout it from the rooftops until they were caught. Exactly. But a lot of people will look at that and say, my insurance premia are high enough as it is. I don't need to take out another form of insurance. Uh, maybe so, but as I say, this is an emerging area, uh, and the exposures uh, have have have, in, have increased with this. And your standard uh, office policy, for instance, will not cover this type of event. Um, you know, and there can be significant costs mm-hmm. to it. And interestingly enough, the costs at, at present are quite low for this type of cover. Um, but you know, as things develop, that this can probably only go one way. I mean, you're talking about a basic policy for four or five hundred euros mm-hmm. against potential. Very, very uh, high costs. In general, Theo, do you find that people just let insurance roll over and and they don't go to market see if they can source a cheaper form? Uh, are are people? I mean, I'm diligent about every insurance policy of going back and saying, can we do better than this? Can we shave ten percent off? And uh, you know, I pride myself on always shaving a little something, if not a huge amount, a little something off it. Sure. Uh, I think that's fair to say, Jonathan. Uh, most people are a little relaxed about it. Not so much with businesses. I think businesses are always watching the bottom line, so, th- so they'll be a bit more active uh, in, in, in looking at alternatives. But um, I do think that, that every business regularly should review their insurance arrangements. There is actually good value in the market um, if, 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 if you do look around. I mean, it's a buoyant marketplace for commercial insurance, despite the issues. Um, you know, uh, good arrangements at, at at good prices can can be availed of. Okay, Theo Hoare, uh, Apex Insurance is their website. Uh, yes, uh, apexinsurance.ie. Lovely, Theo Hoare, pleasure. Thanks for talking to us in Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. My thanks to all my guests. Don't forget, if you want to get involved in the podcast, you can email us, redbusiness at redfm.ie. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Neve Hennessy produced, and we'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com